this is Base Layer, brought to you by Arca. I'm your host, David Nage. This is Base Layer, where institutional investors come to learn about crypto. Welcome back to Base Layer. This is David, and this is your new episode with Seth Rubin, the co-founder of Market Protocol. Market Protocol is an open and permissionless protocol built on the Ethereum blockchain, provided the framework needed to create position tokens, representing the price of either crypto or traditional assets. There's this whole narrative happening over the last few months about synthetics, about using crypto or using the frameworks of blockchains to also provide people who don't necessarily have access to the traditional markets here in the United States to buy equities like Google or to buy ETFs, things of that nature. And so we talked a lot about this. We talked about um, kind of what a position token is, collateral stored in on-chain with while settlement and accounting is handled by smart contracts enforced by blockchain consensus. We talked all about how they're doing these things, and we talked a lot about DEXs. So these are decentralized exchanges, and so this is important to market protocol, and we also talked about atomic swaps. So if anyone still needs a refresh on atomic swaps and DEXs, it's always good to obviously, if you know about the stuff, just to have a refresh, but if you don't know about these things, they are actually really important parts of the ecosystem happening within crypto and digital assets. So this is a great one for people who know and people who don't. So remember, nothing on Baselayer is investment advice, so please do your own research. And on the flip side, you're going to hear the conversation we had with Seth Rubin. Enjoy. This is David, and this is your new episode of Baselayer. I have Seth Rubin, the co-founder of Market Protocol, with us today. How are you, Seth? Hi, David. Thanks for having me today. It is our pleasure. So I was connected to Seth and the team from another investor in this space, one that I respect a lot. And so I always love when we get referrals. So remember, if you're listening to the show, we're happy to talk to people and see if we can get them on the show. So Market Protocol is an open source and non-custodial framework for creating tokens that track the price of any crypto or traditional asset. We're going to unpack a lot of things. We're going to talk about DEXs. We're going to talk about atomic swaps. We're going to be talking all about all sorts of interesting things about how people who cannot necessarily take advantage of the traditional markets, like potentially buying shares of Apple, could actually have some exposure to those things or ETFs and all sorts of other different uh, frameworks out there. So lots of good conversations to be had here. But Seth, if you could give us a little bit of a background about yourself. Uh, I know you've had a lot of experience prior to market. And so give us a little bit of background about yourself. And then what we like to do on the show is people who have obviously listened to it. We don't talk about the when Bitcoin, but we talk about the why. Why, what about this world and the technology and the innovation really kind of led you down the the path to creating market protocol? Sure. Yeah, a lot of things. Uh going on there. So uh, first, a little background about uh, myself. So um, prior to working full-time in uh, the blockchain space, um, I was a derivatives trader, um, primarily as a liquidity provider um, and a relative value trader. Uh, I traded um, on a bunch of exchanges around the world uh, in a lot of different asset classes. Um, I have been in the blockchain space since uh, about 2015, 2016, uh, initially really as, as a trader without 
very much understanding of of really what was going on uh, underneath the hood. Um, it probably took me till around the end of 2016 to uh, really begin understanding a bit more about um, why this was so special and and really what was um, at that point my 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 way of thinking about how um, we could use some of of the technology that I was learning about to uh, improve some of the stuff that I dealt with on a daily basis in the traditional finance space. Um, so what initially led me down um, and led us down this path that uh, eventually became market protocol was um, really first stepping into the um, exchange space and understanding how challenging it was to um, sort of exist there and how exchanges would um, socialize losses, socialize hacks, um, and overall that the way that custody was dealt with, um, I found really, really surprising and kind of shocking. Um, as a guy that came from a traditional space, that really wasn't how, how stuff got done. Um, so that eventually led us down a path um, to begin learning more about um, how we could decentralize custody um, how we could uh, remove credit risk. Um, eventually, that kind of became more into understanding um, what was possible uh, in the decentralized exchange space um, and and really how we could um, improve and replace some, uh, I would say, legacy financial infrastructure. Um, things like clearing firms, which uh, primarily uh, access capital, move trades around, uh, do a bunch of things that, that I think are uh, uh, really fairly accessible um, uh, in the blockchain space. So high level, um, we saw a couple different things that um, really were surprising to us. And then we saw a different a number of spots where, where we could improve. Interesting. And so from your white paper, market protocol is an open permissionless protocol built on the Ethereum blockchain, providing the framework needed to create position tokens representing the price of either crypto or traditional assets. So let's talk about that. You know, you, you alluded to kind of the the catalyst and the, the rationale for building market protocol. Let's talk a little bit about that exact uh, kind of paragraph. And let's talk about kind of what market protocol is today and what problems you're addressing. Sure. Yeah. So um, to, to add a little bit or make that sentence a little more digestible. So market protocol is the framework for minting tokenized derivatives. Um, and, and these derivatives, they can represent... Um, you know, a share of Apple stock, yen, or or leveraged short Bitcoin. Um, with Market Protocol, what we wanted to do was we wanted to uh, design a protocol that allowed for um, collateral to be stored on chain, um, allowed for uh, synthetic assets to be created by um, anyone to represent um, another asset. So. Um, the the problems is what we're addressing what we're what we're doing with market protocol here is that um, first um, what what we noticed initially when we entered the space is a lot of the tools a lot of the um, trading that we were doing um, wasn't quite possible uh, in the blockchain space um, it's still fairly difficult to hedge or manage risk um, or to efficiently speculate so those are kind of the two uh, main pain points that that we see um, addressable by market protocol and and more broadly derivatives um, primarily in the in the traditional space those are really the two main use cases mm -hmm. are uh, capital efficiencies and risk management so um, that's what we're bringing to um, uh, the blockchain space with market protocol. I think what would be useful is that I think listeners have probably already heard about security tokens or STOs, you know, securitizing assets, 
you know, real world assets. We've talked about tokenizing, you know, the world, so to speak. And that was obviously an old moniker for the last few years. And we've seen, you know, things happen in terms of hotels having, you know, raising capital or raising debt and having parts of that tokenized. We've seen some other iterations around that. I want to make sure people understand the difference between what you're doing and then kind of what that whole world is doing. So if you can kind of dissect a little bit further, you know, making sure that people understand the difference between like tokenizing a piece of, you know, real estate versus you know, kind of what you guys are doing. Sure, that's a, that's a great distinction. Thanks for bringing that up. So um, when most people, I think you're right, think about sort of vanilla tokenization, we're thinking about how do we uh, provide liquidity to a, an illiquid asset, a, a hotel, a car, a private equity investment. Um, and sort of selling asset-backed shares. Um, that's very similar to, say, an early project in the space, uh, Digix, which um, you know has a token that that represents, I think, it's uh, one gram of gold physically stored in a vault in Singapore. Um, what we're doing with Market Protocol um, is we're generating synthetic assets, um, and these synthetic assets um, track the value of something else, but we never actually touch or custody. Um, that reference asset. So, um, for example, um, a good example of a, of a traditional asset that's like this would be um, the S&P uh, 500 future, which is traded on the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. Um, what happens is traders will buy and sell um, an S&P future, which represents the price of the S&P future, but they'll only make or lose dollars. They'll never transact in 500 stocks. They'll never custody any of the stocks in the, the index. They'll always deposit dollars and make or lose dollars. So the distinction here is that um, we actually never touch or custody um, uh, any other asset but the collateral the, the collateral asset. Uh, in that example, it's dollars. Um, in a lot of the examples with market protocol, it could be something like uh, a stable coin like uh, DAI or USDC um, or uh, Ethereum. And that allows us then to uh, deliver price exposure. And for most people, um, price exposure is really the only thing that they're looking for. So, uh, for example, when I buy um, uh, Monero, uh, I'm not buying Monero because I want to actually custody Monero. Uh, I'm buying Monero because I want access uh, to to the price movement of Monero. Mm -hmm. um, so similar, I guess one last example would be like, uh, when someone buys Apple stock, most people are buying Apple stock for price exposure. They're not buying Apple stock to vote on corporate action. So for 90% or a large portion of the population, that price exposure is a lot simpler to deliver and really what they're after. Mm -hmm. I'm going to have a little fun with you on this, and I'm going to refute you because I, I think it's important. And I think that you are right, obviously, price exposure and obviously accretion. And we're all capitalists, hopefully, that we're listening to the show. We obviously want to see $10 be worth $100 tomorrow. But at the same time, you have staking tokens and you have staking mechanisms out there. You have definitely other ones out there where people are acquiring those tokens because they want to be stakers and they want to have the value you know, there's yield associated with becoming a validator or becoming an oracle in some of these systems. Would you refute that? I agree with that. Uh, I don't refute that. Um, I, I think it really depends on what your use case is. Um, right. I think that a lot of the stuff that's happening on the staking side, you do actually need custody of the underlying to deliver that. Now, mm -hmm. I think you can also do some cool stuff with um, trading the yield, the stake yield, um, mm -hmm. as probably a different, you know, out of scope for this discussion. But um, at, at some level to to receive that stake yield, um, you you do need to obviously custody those assets. So I, I agree with, with the statement you're saying. 
Um, and that is an exception to what we're doing. Another exception would be, say, I want to own Apple stock because I want the dividend. Uh, in right. that case, a synthetic may not deliver that, but typically you do see um, some of that price action reflected in mature futures markets. Again, I'm having a little fun with you on that. I agree, though. 90, 95% <laughs> probably of the people out there that are purchasing Apple stock are not doing it because they they feel like they want to have a 0.111002% you know ownership of apple they they want to see you know those 100 shares go from you know $120 a share to $1000 a share so i agree with you on that um now i want to get a little bit more specific so we talked about synthetic we talked about you know a position token and you know similar to being a traditional derivative which settles in the future based on the price of a reference asset so I want to be very clear because it seems that there was another player in the space. Um, we don't necessarily need to name names, but there was another one out there that seemed to be doing something like this. And then there was this whole discussion for the last few months. This was probably two or three months ago about rehospification. And for those that don't know what that means, go Google it because it's not it's not difficult, but it's something from you know more of a legacy. Can is there any relation to rehopification with what you guys are doing, or is that completely you know is that not even in existence? I don't think so. Um, my understanding of rehopification is it's basically using collateral to someone else's collateral for your own collateral, essentially. Um, we essentially for, for what's happening is collateral is deposited into um, these smart contracts and, and that's where it stays for the duration of, of that trade or that outstanding um, uh, position token. Um, collateral does not really move in and out of the collateral pool uh, that often. So um, what generally happens with market protocol is um, I draw, uh, maybe I can draw a bit of a parallel to um uh, the way that Maker works. So when um, a CDP is opened, um, collateral is deposited and die is minted, and that die can then be traded to a zillion different people. Mm -hmm. It's fungible. You can bring in different die to close that CDP whenever you'd like. With Market Protocol, it's sort of similar in the sense that we are um, a, a smart contract is deployed that defines this um, position token, this relationship. So the initial token that we we launched was a synthetic um, leveraged Bitcoin. Um, so what what that means is our uh, reference asset is Bitcoin, mm -hmm. our collateral is Dai, um, mm -hmm. and that gets deployed. Anyone can then deposit collateral into that smart contract and receive back position tokens. Most people. Um, aren't going to actually be minting position tokens. Very much like most people don't actually mint DAI. Um, they'll just go on exchange and buy uh, a long or short position or buy DAI as they need it. It tends to be a bit more of a specialized or sophisticated action to mint DAI, mint market protocol tokens, uh, etc. So let's talk about this. I think a lot of people who are going to be listening to this are saying, okay, well, you mentioned the word collateral. Where is that? And I know it's stored on chain, but talk a little bit more about the mechanisms involved with that. You know, I think people were going to say, well, is there a custody? And I know obviously this is not what we're, you know, we're going to talk about DEXs. You know, talk to us a little bit about the legacy world where people would say, okay, there's collateral. So it has to be with a custodian, you know, you know, talk to us a little bit more about this new world and how these things work. Sure. Yeah. So uh, as I mentioned earlier in the podcast, one of the things that we were looking to uh, remove was credit risk and uh, 
custodial risk, headline risk. Um, you know, one of the things that I always think of is is my uh, Man Financial and how um, basically thirty five thousand customer accounts were frozen in in liquidation and bankruptcy, which is just a ridiculous situation. Um, people went out of business because of John Corzine. Um, so uh, that's something that we really thought about and and wanted to address, and we're really uh, interested in in solving when we when we began architecting market protocols. So. Um, custody is it, funds are custodied by a smart contract um, on the Ethereum blockchain. It's an audited smart contract. The rules are visible. Um, people know um, how uh, collateral flows in and out of that contract. So um, I discussed a little bit the mechanism prior, um, but basically what happens is I deposit um, collateral into this smart contract using the example I deposit die, um, mm-hmm. and I receive back. Um, position tokens. Mm-hmm. Those position tokens effectively represent a claim to collateral. They're kind of like IOUs. Mm-hmm. So if I trade that IOU to you, um, that IOU can then be presented uh, at settlement to this smart contract for a return of capital. Mm-hmm. So the smart contract is essentially programmed with a set of rules. Everyone knows the rules and the smart contract can't change the rules. So The custodian in this case is a decentralized mechanism. It's a smart contract versus a traditional custodian, which can say, hey, like I'm out of business today or sorry, I commingled your funds. Uh, You can't have them back. So that's the sort of major difference between um, what we're doing, what a lot of projects in DeFi are doing is we are removing that middleman. We're removing our exposure to bad actors. Mm -hmm. I think fundamentally that's... um, really a, a huge benefit to, to what we're doing. What about dispute resolution? If, if, do you, have you ever seen or has there been a dispute or do you envision if there was a dispute, what the resolution would look like? So um, there has not been a dispute. Um, there, I guarantee you there will be a dispute. Um, you know, that, that's just, it's bound to happen. So um, with market protocol, um, we use an Oracle for settlement. Um, and um, right now we're using CoinCap, um, which presents a uh, exchange index, and that's what we're using for price settlement. Mm-hmm. Um, what I think is um, an acceptable Oracle solution um, is it, it involves an Oracle for settlement, but also needs to involve dispute resolution for the instance where you know we just don't get a value back. Like let's not even say it's a malicious value. Um, it's just we receive a null value. So um, the way that we have um, considered dispute resolution, and, and I don't want to say solved it or, or anything like that, because I think that it's a, um, a it's not a solved uh, issue right now, um, is we basically want to have um, our uh, our stakeholders um, act as validators to initially validate the price data from the Oracle. So essentially. Um, we say, what is the price of, um, XYZ asset on, uh, Friday and our validators come back and they say, we agree, or we don't agree. Um, if our validators come back and say, we agree, and it's a certain majority and they've put, um, value at risk and they've staked it. Um, you know, we know that, that, um, we can accept that value. If they say that value is not acceptable, we go to a backup solution. Um, there are a handful of different backup solutions in the space right now. Um, you know, I think people are most familiar probably with with Chainlink. Mm-hmm. So essentially, what we could say is Chainlink, you know, 
what we're asking your network to provide this value because we can't agree on it. Right. Um, or you could use uh, Uma's doing something uh, kind of similar. Um, and there are a few other projects that um, are, are looking to help with that dispute resolution layer. So essentially what we want to do is we want our stakeholders who have an incentive to provide uh, validation securing our network to first um, very quickly uh, say yes or no. We don't want them to furnish values or anything like that. We don't get it locked in sort of a long dispute resolution. We mm-hmm. just say yes or no. Um, if they say no, let's ask someone who specializes in this. And so I'm curious, one of the conversations that we've had over the last few months was regards to this new emergence of insurance as regards to smart contracts. And we had Hugh from Nexus Mutual. Do you see a utilization of insurance? So obviously, if we're talking about financial products, and we're talking about using smart contracts, and we're creating CDPs, and we're doing lots of different things within the DeFi world, does insurance start to play a role in the things that you guys are building? Uh it's an interesting question. Um, I think probably somewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that um, we have to see how 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 that market um, uh, grows. Mm-hmm. Um, I think about some of the stuff that. I mean, there are lots of different places that you can insure. You can insure at the smart contract level. You can insure at the sort of resolution level. Um, you can insure at the um, uh, sort of asset level. So I, I think that. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm not exactly sure. Uh, I think that for for someone like. Um, us, I think that, you know, we, we obviously do our best to make sure that the products and what we're releasing is as audited as, as, as responsibly and, and deployed as, as possible. But, you know, obviously there, there is some headline risk at the, um, at the, uh, a lot of projects, I think, uh, look at one of their larger risks as, um, sort of smart contract risk. Right. Interesting. It's an interesting, you know, obviously, as we get further and further down the, the, the DeFi rabbit hole, obviously, new products are emerging. <laughs> and well, as we as we compound with composability, um, you know, everyone loves composability, but there's a downside to all of that, too. Yeah. Like, I may have a dependency on someone else. I can't even control it. And I may have the best code on the planet. Right. So let's talk about, you know, kind of there's a section on uh, in your white paper about lost opportunities and about limited market access. So access to financial products, including investment products and risk management tools is geographically and socioeconomically restricted. So how are you let's let's use a real world world. Let's just create an example, if you will. You know, let's say that there's a person and and I hate to pick on Venezuela, but because of hyperinflation, you know, obviously in regards to digital assets, you know, a lot of people have been talking about Venezuela as one of the places where, you know, there would be a use case for that. Let's say someone in Venezuela wants to potentially get, uh, you know, further invested and they want to be able to use market protocol, how would they, you know, and say they don't want to necessarily, they want to have diversification, not just from a crypto perspective, a Bitcoin perspective, but say they want to have access to a stable ETF here in the United States, how would they actually do it? Sure. So that would require first, um, you know, let's assume that they they can get on ramp and everything in Venezuela. Um, and um, that would require someone to design um, either an existing index um, that comprised that was comprised of stocks or a basket of assets that that you know they thought was appropriate. Mm-hmm. You know, it could be market protocol or it could be a third party. Um, that basket composition would would be defined. Um, that smart contract uh, would ascend, would would then be deployed. That uh, define the rules. It's Dai versus you know the Dow Jones and T-bills or whatever you want to build there. Um, and then it would exist right now as just sort of a, a series of smart contracts. 
someone needs to then, um, could be the same person, actually deposit collateral to mint those tokens. Um, those tokens then would need to be uh, sold to someone in Venezuela, um, either on exchange or most likely for something like this, it would probably be th- sort of through like a simple um, uh, interface, an application that maybe is designed for kind of a one-off, uh, you know, fewer transactions without the overhead of, of an exchange. Mm-hmm. Um, those tokens would then um, track the price of that index or ETF that that was created, um, delivering a PNL in Dai or Ether or whatever um, collateral currency was was specked out for for that token. Okay, interesting. So let's go from there to a conversation on DEXs. Now, the last time we talked about a DEX was when we had Sharon from Arwen on. That was many months ago. And obviously, the world of DEXs has evolved, and we're starting to see more and more volume going on them. So I think it's important to have a recap on what a DEX is, obviously, as it relates to market protocol. So what is a DEX for people that are listening that might not be familiar with it? And you know, generally, what's the purpose and the problem that it is solving? And then let's talk a little bit more about atomic swaps as it relates to DEXs, as it all relates to market protocol. Sure. Yeah, so um, a DEX is, is a decentralized exchange um, versus a centralized exchange. So an example of a centralized exchange would be, say, like a Coinbase. Um, and uh, a DEX then uh, looks to um, remove uh, a few of the things that we kind of talked about uh, before. So um, DEXs are varying levels of, of non-custodial. So that means that, um, you know, your assets tend to either um, sit in a smart contract or sit in your wallet. Um, that means that there's no um, concern around being able to um, withdraw your assets and there's no concern about your assets being um, lost in an exchange hack. So some of the things that we've seen in the past, I think one of the bigger ones say was like, Bitfinex or uh, Mt. Gox. Um, those are examples of uh, centralized exchanges that basically lost uh, customer funds. Um, in the DEX world, the, the main benefit there is that you are always in control of your funds uh, at some level. Uh, some of the other benefits of a DEX mean that, um, you know, again, like withdrawals and deposits are, are, are not controlled by someone else. Um, there's no credit risk uh, at the exchange level. Um, so that means that, um, Again, you kind of are always in control of your funds. Uh, a few additional benefits of DEXs, um, depending on sort of which one or who you're talking to, would be um, they tend to be a bit more accessible. Um, they tend to have varying levels of um, uh, KYC. Um, they tend to operate in different jurisdictions. Um, so those, I would say, are, are, are a number of the, the, the differences uh, between a, a DEX versus a centralized exchange. Um Maybe some of the downsides of DEXs real quickly. Um, DEXs are not, they don't specialize in latency. Um, You're going to have a different experience um, trading on a Coinbase versus a DEX. Um, They're not known for um, the easiest uh, user experience. Um, You know, the benefit are are a number of the trade-offs that we mentioned before. Right. And so one of the, you know, kind of marrying points with DEXs is also the atomic swap. So as it relates to market protocol and atomic swaps, can you talk a little bit more about that too? Sure. So um, market protocol is, um, we have our own exchange. It's called uh, MPX, market protocol exchange. Um, market protocol exchange is basically a, um, a vanilla uh, 0x relayer. Um, and um, 
the architecture of, of uh, Market Protocol uh, essentially follows the standard 0x uh, implementation in the sense that um, we can sign orders off-chain. Uh, we can broadcast those orders to our exchange or another exchange. Um, someone else then can uh, take that order uh, on-chain and fill it. Um, essentially, I think they bill it as you know, kind of wallet-to-wallet trading. Mm-hmm. Um, when I think about uh, atomic swaps, um, I think about mostly kind of uh, cross-chain implementations, mm-hmm. um, something that would allow for uh, someone on the Ethereum blockchain to access EOS, for example, or uh, uh, Bitcoin. Right. Um, but in regards to the uh, DEX space, both of them, I think, are relevant in the sense that um, we're basically exchanging um, our assets, our tokens, whatever it is, at the same time. Um, and I think that that's really important because that means I don't have to trust you and you don't have to trust me. Right. Absolutely. And, um, you know, as it relates to the roadmap with Market Protocol, why don't you tell us kind of, you know, where you are in terms of, you know, how you know, kind of how much you don't have to go into usage numbers, but, you know, you know, over the last few months, are you getting more people to use it? Is there more interest in obviously the overall space? I know, obviously, as we were, as we were discussing DEXs, obviously more people are starting to use them as we've seen issues with centralized exchanges um, and obviously hacks that there is more interest in this world, but obviously as you alluded to latency issues and some other things in terms of the user experience, but, you know, give us the roadmap, kind of give us an, you know, kind of an update on how things are with what you guys are doing. Um, and then give us the roadmap for the next, you know, you know, few months where, what we can expect to see from you guys going forward. Sure. Yeah. Um, so market protocol has been on mainnet for, um, about two months now. Um, the first product we launched, I mentioned was, um, long and short, uh, Bitcoin, synthetic Bitcoin. Um, that token, uh, is traded on our exchange. Uh, and it's also traded on another decentralized exchange, uh, DDEX. Mm-hmm. Um, so we've, been live, yeah, I think about two months now. Mm-hmm. Um, we've seen a lot of uh, different users, um, either users that you know really don't even know how to get DAI to really sophisticated users. So uh, mm-hmm. it's kind of run the gamut. I'm surprised actually by uh, the different kinds of people that we've talked to. Mm-hmm. Um, we have um, had a couple different um, groups begin working on on top of market protocol to build their own synthetic assets. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the first projects that, that's working on a synthetic asset is a, um, a, a Bitcoin hash uh, contract token that would allow for uh, people to manage or speculate on the, the mostly miners on the uh, on Bitcoin difficulty. Um, a second cool product that we've seen recently um, build on top of market protocol uh, won the hackathon at ETH Berlin. Uh, it's called LSDI, um, and it's designed to allow people to uh, hedge the variable uh, rate on compound. So um, just to give a little framework on that is the compound lend and borrow rate is dynamic, and it changes based on di- uh, demand. Um, what I've seen even personally is that I've had money on compound and seen the rate go down, um, and you know that's caused me to kind of reconsider what I'm doing on compound. Yep. Um, so I think that that's kind of a a couple of cool like crypto native use cases uh, beyond say, um, uh, Bitcoin or traditional assets. And we're hoping to see uh, more of those kinds of assets um, uh, coming online uh, in the next few months. Um, we are planning on launching um, uh, a levered synthetic um, uh, Ethereum um, in the next couple of weeks. Uh, there'll be a lot of benefits there. Um, essentially one of the main differences with market protocol and a lot of the other 
um, sort of projects in the space is uh, we have decentralized leverage uh, implicit at the protocol level. So um, right now, if you trade sort of the long short Bitcoin product, it's depending on which way you go between four uh, and and five uh, times lever. Right. Um, so I think that there are a lot of benefits um, to creating an Ethereum product because I, you know, maybe you agree with me, maybe you don't, but I think really this whole DeFi space right now is 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 going round and round on leverage and borrowing. Um, and and that I think is a really important aspect to um, define and, and make safer. And, and that's something that we, we do with market protocol. So that's coming up in the next, I would say, couple weeks uh, on the on the product side. I want to get into a little bit of a philosophical question before we go into kind of getting to know you briefly. You know, obviously you were on a desk, you've traded derivatives, you've been, you know, in the system for a while. I'm sure you're obviously familiar with systemic risk, obviously, as we saw in 2008 with Lehman and with Bayer. You know, are you concerned or are, can do you feel confident that there are enough people within the system today within digital assets that understand and know that catastrophe and understand systemic risk well enough that we can learn from those mistakes and make sure that those things do not transgress into crypto? Uh, I emphatically say yes, because I provided liquidity during flash crash. I traded through the financial crisis. Um, I've seen systemic risk, you know, up close and personal. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of the design and market protocol is we wanted to mitigate and remove systemic risk. So with market protocol, we designed an ecosystem that's guaranteed solvent and it's always fully funded. So when we have a systemic issue, there's no forced liquidation to the marketplace. There's no cascading liquidation that you see in a flash crash. So right. we specifically defined and designed market protocol to mitigate that. Yeah. Um, your higher level question, though, is do we feel like people have the expertise and the understanding? I think that's a challenging uh, question. I think that in DeFi right now, we have a lot of different liquidation auction mechanics Mm -hmm. um, that are going to be compounded by network congestion when correlation goes to one and the world blows up. I I personally am am concerned about that um, because it's going to be compounded by the architecture. Yep, I I agree. And it's just something if people are listening to the show, please, please, please talk to people that were on desks, people that were trading during that time, people that have experienced that. It is important that we obviously make sure that we've learned from those mistakes and we understand black swans and we understand systemic risk. You know, the the things that are happening in DeFi are great, but obviously please, you know, I encourage people that are listening to the show, reach out to people that were on those desks like Seth and others out there. It is really important. So with that, obviously, moving away from the draconian, scary you know, stuff from back in the <laughs> days, let's uh, get to know you briefly. Um, we'd like to kind of get into a person's head and see kind of what you're putting in there. So I always like to ask guests what they have been reading. Hopefully, you read more than just white papers and technicals on crypto systems and protocols. Uh, hopefully, you've read something recently that resonated, and also music. Um, obviously, we ask all of our guests what they listen to because I think that really tells a lot about a person's personality. So, books that you've read recently and music you listen to. Sure. Uh, we recently had a, a nice little girl. Um, so, the last book or the book that I'm kind of currently reading is uh, Michael Lewis' book, um, sort of his like short form uh, quips on on fatherhood. Uh, I think it's called Home Game. Mm. Um, you know, it's just, it's an easy read. It's for when I have, you know, a few brain cells and a little sleep that I can, can pick <laughs> it up. Um, so, yeah, it's 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 nothing about crypto. And I think that's the point, right? Yes. Um, yes, that's the point. 
So yeah, I'm a Michael Lewis fan. Uh, I think I think most people probably are. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, so that, that's what I've last read. Music. Um, I've been listening to a lot of the National recently. Um, kind of the whatever the album is that came out this year. But I've I've been a pretty big National fan in general. So th- that's what I've been listening to. Awesome. And so the last thing that we like to do for guests is point people to where they can learn more about Market Particle, where they can reach out to you guys and get involved. Yeah, I like to direct people just to uh, MP, so marketprotocol.tools. Um, it's just kind of a real-time dashboard that shows um, some stats about the uh, existing trading tokens. Um, and from there, um, we have a couple links around pricing and trading uh, these tokens. Um, we're available on Discord, uh, Telegram. Uh, we'd love to uh, you know, talk to anyone about anything. If you love our idea, hate our idea, I, I welcome the feedback. So I, I appreciate that. Awesome. So this was Seth Rubin, co-founder of Market Protocol. This is a great conversation, really interesting uh, work that they're doing, uh, especially using some of the tooling that we've been able to establish over the last few years and open up this world of DeFi. Seth, thank you for joining us. Hopefully we can catch you in a few months and catch up and see how things are progressing over there. Take care. Thanks, David. Bye. For more notes from this past episode about our guest, please go to www.ar.ca slash base layer. Nothing stated on this podcast should be taken as investment advice, which would require a thorough assessment of each investor's personal financial profile and risk tolerance. Statements regarding past performance are not necessarily indicative of future returns. If you like what you're listening to on base layer, let us know. Subscribe, give us a like, or hit us up on Twitter, Arca at Arca, or myself, David Nage at DavidJN79. Let us know, and we'd love to obviously hear from you. For additional resources to help sophisticated listeners like yourself learn about the digital asset space and the financial terms you understand, please visit www.ar.ca for articles, market commentary, videos, and more.